First Metrosec is providing this podcast as a general market commentary. Reference to any specific security, product, or entity do not constitute as an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed by the hosts are subject to change without notice and First Metrosec is under no obligation to update, amend, change, or correct any of the statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed. The statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view of First Metrosec. First Metrosec disclaims any liability arising from reliance on or reference to any information obtained in this podcast. Podcast Network Asia. You are listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast, where we feature timely and relevant discussions on the Philippine stock market and the economy in the hope of providing you investing and trading guidance. Here's your host, Royce Aguilar, from the Research Department at First Metro Sec. Good day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the First Metro Securities podcast. We have here another special guest, but before we introduce the speaker, let me introduce to you the company first. So we have here DNL Industries, Inc. So DNL is the holding company for a group of companies with four principal business lines, namely food ingredients, colorants and plastics additives, aerosols and oleochemicals, resins and powder coatings. So DNL also Tall manufacturers a range of related products, including insect control, industrial maintenance chemicals, and home and personal care products, among others. Okay, so if you actually take a look at their website, there are several presentations there where they mention that they are the leading B2B to C company in the Philippines. They have a long-standing customer relationships with mostly consumer companies. So you'd be surprised, right? So they have this customer relationship with around Boyce and 36 years, Nestle. URC 25 years, KFC Bench, Jollibee Unilever for 21 years. A lot of notable companies. So just to put a number on it, more than 70% of their sales are to consumer companies. So they are not a household name. As a matter of fact, when I entered First Metrosec, prior to that, I didn't know who the company was. But as years go by, I realized that they're part of a bigger, larger product that is sold under well-known public-facing brands. So just to mention a bit of numbers before we begin to introduce our speaker. So since it's listing on December 12, 2012, the company has returned 6.75 billion or 0.95 pesos per share to shareholders in cash dividends. So in terms of their earnings, compounded annual growth rate since IPO in 2012, their CAGR is about 14%. So that, that's outstanding, way, way above the, the, the GDP of the country, right? So, of course, I would just also like to mention the earnings for 2021, which keep in mind is already above pre-pandemic levels, which is, if you take a look at other companies, only a few, select few companies have already reached pre-pandemic levels, one of which is DNL. So just to specify their 2021 net income of $2.64 billion, which is above 31% year-on-year from 2020 profit, and is already above... 2019 by 1%. So what uh, DNL attributed the performance to is increased economic activity, robust performance of its export business. If we dissect a bit, their food ingredients had the highest recovery 
in terms of revenues, 30.85 billion, a big jump from the previous years, 21.7 billion with its export business accounting for 33% of the top line. So amazing numbers from this company. So now let me introduce to you the president and chief executive officer of DNL Industries. He has also other directorships like uh, Gutango Software Corp, First In Colors Incorporated, DNL Polymer In Colors Incorporated, FIC Tankers Corp, Anonas LRT Property and Development Corp, Ecozone Properties in Hotel Acropolis Inc. So let me introduce to you again the presidency of DNL, Mr. Alvin Lau. So hello, Alvin. How are you? Hey, Royce. How are you? Thanks for the very detailed introduction. <laughs> yeah. You really did research on us, huh? Galing. Thank you. Of course, of course. Actually, a lot of our clients have been asking about DNL because they're seeing this. Um, they're looking for companies that have outperformed right in the during the course of the recovery post-pandemic, right? And DNL, just like I said, already above pre-pandemic levels. But before we dig into the the business, like the recent happenings, first of all, how would you elaborate to investors your business model? Is it accurate to describe that the company as a firm that operates mostly in the pre-production? layer of manufacturing, basically, do you provide value-added components to manufacturers? Because we are also curious on how the family even came up in venturing into this segment back in the 70s, right? So, go ahead. So, um, your descriptions are absolutely correct. But uh, what we try to do also is we try to keep the language into really easy words that, you know, even a four-year-old could understand. Right. You know, at the end of the day, we really are a company that uses chemistry to come up with solutions to help our customers. So 60% of what we make are for the food industry. So you mentioned earlier, we the different kinds of products that we make. We service um, everyone from food service customers. So these would be fast food companies, including uh, food manufacturers like packaged foods as well. So the bulk of what we do is really customizing products for food. And then before we went into food, we were actually only in chemicals, so non-food. So chemicals including plastics, paints, and so on. Um, the underlying theme across all our businesses is that we use chemistry to create raw materials which our customers need and use for for making their own products. Right. And we customize these products for our customers. And that's basically, in essence, what we do. Yeah. Can you give us any background on, on is, is the family really an expert in chemistry? How did the family even came up with this venturing to this segment back in the 70s? What was, was the mindset, if you're if you aware? So 1963, 63. the business started. So it was started by two brothers, Dean and Leon Lau. So that's where the name of D&L comes from, uh, the initials of Dean and Leon. So Leon is my father. Right. So I'm part of the second gen, uh, helping with the business now. And Dean and Leon had have three younger brothers, uh, Alex, Edwin, and John. So they joined the business after they finished college. And the three oldest brothers are chemical engineers. And that is the, you could say, the foundation of how we got started. It was really started by chemical engineers, Dean, Leon, and then Alex. And Edwin and John also helped on the other aspects of the business. But that was really the root of how we got started in the business. It was the background. 
in chemical engineering that my dad and uncles had. Great. Good to know. Good to know. Probably a lot of our clients now already learned a lot about this company. So now the next question is, let's go back to what I mentioned earlier in terms of your earnings performance, right? In a nutshell, huge outperformance, right? Um, already pre-pandemic levels. Now the question is, how was the company able to get passed through the COVID-19 pandemic? Of course, there was still some impact, but the recovery has been fast as well. What were the measures implemented that led to this recovery? I think just like all other companies, we were really badly affected at first by the pandemic, especially the lockdowns uh, in the second quarter of 2020. But well, just like everyone, we started to implement a lot of measures, uh, everything from enhancing our safety for our staff to be able to continue to work in the company, encouraging vaccinations, being very vigilant in terms of monitoring the data. Like we're actually a very, we're a company that really looks at data all the time just to make, just to base our decisions on. So DOH would publish all of these data about, you know, what's happening with the virus and, and so on. But I think the other factor that really helped us is if you look at a lot of what we make, they go into very basic industries. So of course there's food, but other than food, there are chemicals for plastics, paints, and uh, even the consumer products, ODM business. So a lot of what we make goes into essential products that when people realize, well, first, of course, when many businesses started to close down, people still need to eat, they need a place to stay. A lot of projects which initially stopped eventually restarted. So for example, a lot of the construction projects that the government was doing, a lot of them eventually restarted. So if you look at the products that we sell, a lot of them go into these very basic industries. So food, even materials for construction, for appliances. So I think it's fair to say that when the economy restarted, we were a beneficiary just from the fact that a lot of what we make goes into these products that are considered essential. So that would be one big reason why we were able to recover quickly compared to, I would say, many other companies. Right. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that. It's good to take note. You took into consideration also the health factor, like vaccinating your employees and the like. I think the next question is interesting. It seems like the company exposed to various kinds of segments, right? If the listeners here take a look at their company website, you, you're going to see several segments that they're exposed at. I can only mention a few, right? There's this frying oils, flavored glazes, right? Pancake mix, body fragrance and sprays. And I think you mentioned earlier that the company is data-driven. Is this one way that the company was able to maintain its market leadership. So are there any other uh, methods or ways that, how are you able to continually identify and keep up with market needs? So, yeah. Well, in our case, since we started, we've always been not just attuned to the customer, but really listening closely to what they need and trying to fill that need. And I think at the end of the day, our customers really appreciate that, that they have a supplier who has the knowledge in terms of R&D, has the equipment, has the people 
that are trained to do the work that can help our customers. But we also have that attitude of constantly looking for ways to continue to help our customers. And this is the kind of work that on their own, many of our customers are not able to do. They don't have that focus on R&D. They don't have the investments in R&D like we have. And so I would say that is the major reason why we are able to continue to strengthen our relationships with a lot of our customers. At the end of the day, we are at the mercy of the needs of the market. So we really have no choice. We really have to continue to pay attention and be aware what our customers' needs are. So it needs a lot of communication. It needs a lot of, um, you know, we, we can't just rely on information we know or our own opinions. We always need to check in with our customers as well. Yeah, so again, thank you for answering our question. Another question that we are curious about, because in the past few weeks, even months, right? If you exclude the Omicron, if you take a look at the fourth quarter, a lot of significant economic reopening has occurred. For your company, even for your clients, if, if you can mention in, in general, what, what are the market needs or trends that you saw since the recent relaxation of COVID uh, restrictions? Are there any new trends that you were able to see? Well, it, it looks like a lot of... So on the food side, we see a lot of restaurants continuing to provide space outdoor for outdoor dining. It looks like it's something that currently... So a lot of people are going out again. Restaurants are full. Planes are full. I heard some resorts. It's hard to book now. You have to book like one or two months in advance. But uh, in terms of dining, uh, it looks like for a lot of restaurants, they need to continue to provide space for outdoor dining. So, so kahit na mainit and pinapawis ng tao, I think for safety, they might still, it looks like they still prefer that. Um, that's one. But another trend that I, we all saw at the start of COVID was a lot of these sellers of products. So not just food, but even uh, household products or things we use at home. We can now order them online. We can pay for our products online. That. I guess, you know, the Philippines was lagging behind most of its neighbors in Asia in terms of e-commerce. And I understand because of that low base, we were the fastest growing market for e-commerce during COVID. I think that is a trend that will likely stay. You know, people before had all these reservations about ordering online, whether it was was it safe? Are you going to get something that's fake? Or is your credit card number going to get ripped off? I think people saw that there are enough uh, ways to safeguard against fraud. And so that's likely a trend that will likely continue because it just makes sense, right? Instead of you know traveling half an hour to a mall, paying for parking and yeah. walking around looking for something which they might not even have at the shops, you can just shop online and it's so convenient you can get the product in a couple of days um i actually some stores even offer same day delivery so yeah that's one major trend that looks like uh will continue to stay with us and might even grow yeah good to know actually a lot of our um clients have also been asking is this like a one-time thing is this uh, temporary yeah so it's good to hear from people uh, like you in terms of what trends you see will stay 
right? And of course, this is somewhat of a this is a good question that's that just got interesting since the month of March, right? We already see the significant economic reopening, but just so happened we saw this surge in commodity prices, right? Coconut have began their rally in terms of prices, even in 2021, but also in March, since March 2022 because of the Ukraine invasion, which put an upward bias on price levels. So the, I think the question here is how does the company address rising commodity prices? Well, in our case, so yes, there's been a, a lot of volatility in prices and you're right. It wasn't just after the invasion of Ukraine. This had been happening for pretty much almost two years, pretty much almost since COVID started. And so when companies shut down, supply became limited. But then when economies opened up, uh, the supply took a while to catch up. So there's been a domino effect, a lot of effect on supply chains. Uh, but when we look at the volatility in price of our main raw materials. It wasn't just in the last two years that right. we noticed vol volatility. It's actually been happening pretty much forever, actually. Yeah. I mean, ever since we've seen volatility for all kinds of reasons. So, for example, here in the Philippines, we have over 20 typhoons that affect us every year. Um, and once in a while, we have a typhoon that blows through a lot of our coconut growing regions. And when that happens, the price of coconut oil in some years can actually double in one year. But as soon as the price goes up, then all suppliers come out. And then, of course, with a high price, demand weakens. And so that usually results in the weakening of prices. And so we, we can see prices collapse as well. So up or down, there's always a lot of volatility. Um, what we do know is that prices don't remain high forever. Eventually, you know, I guess that's something we always we've learned in economics class, right? Demand, supply, both adjust, and eventually prices go down. So we do expect that to happen. But in terms of our ability to react or address volatile commodity prices, what we do is we pass it on to our customers. At the end of the day, we don't. We do have the ability to hedge, but we feel that it would be too dangerous for us to speculate because if we get it wrong, we could lose a lot. And you know, even the best guys who do all of these uh, positioning, they don't get it right all the time. So we would rather play it safe. We would rather be a steady supplier to our customers. What's more important, I think, is that we constantly have supply on hand to be able to service the needs of our customer. That's, I would, that I, I would say is the most important thing. And uh, so what we do instead of uh, speculating or taking large positions is we move our prices up when prices are going up. And at the same token, when prices start going down, we move our prices down as well. So, so we constantly adjust our prices. And the idea is that we are able to pass on price changes to our customers. Great. Yeah. That's that's good to know. Yeah. Because a lot of companies, of course, that's what separates the men from the boys in terms of pricing power, right? So it's good to take note how you, how the company's being able to address volatile commodity prices. So the next question is company specific, right? So the company reported that the start of the commercial operations for subsidiary Natura Aeropack Corporation's plant in Batangas is in January 2023. So the question is, I mentioned earlier the company has four principal business lines. So which of these segments will directly 
cater or benefit from the plant in Batangas? And can you elaborate more on the expansion in Batangas and the vision for the plant? Sure. Of our four main segments, it's only the plastics segment that does not have a presence in the expansion in Batangas. And the reason for that is the plastic segment actually had its expansion, I think around 12 years ago, we built a plant in Kanlubang in Carmel Ray for the plastics expansion. So when the time came for us to build the expansion in Batangas, uh, we, did, we didn't need to include plastics, but food, oleochemicals, including, so that's Chemres, as well as Aeropac for the consumer products ODM. Those are all physically on-site in the Batangas expansion. In terms of the what will be there or how big it will be, we haven't disclosed any figures for capacity, but what I can share with you is that the land area that the expansion occupies is double the size of all of our existing plants. So in other words, times when once the expansion is done, the land area all of our operations occupy will be times three compared to before the expansion started operations. The expansion, I mean, just to give you an idea of scale, the expansion site covers 26 hectares. If you compare that to the land where SM Mega Mall is, SM Mega Mall occupies a land area of 10 hectares. So the expansion is, the land area of the expansion is more than two and a half times bigger than the land area of Mega Mall. So it's, yeah. it is big. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's really big. So that's good, right? And I think it, it will also benefit the exports business, right? Oh, yeah. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, correct. Because the expansion is in a PESA zone. So the PESA rules state that uh, we need to, as a Filipino company, we are allowed to have some domestic sales, but we are required to export at least 50% of what we make in the plant. So, so in other words, as of end of 2021, we export around one third of our, our revenue. By the time this plant is operational, so the average, I guess you could say the average export revenue will be higher than one third once this, part, once this plant starts operating. And eventually that's actually been one of our uh, goals, long-term goals to hit at least 50% of what we make coming from exports. Yeah. Good to know. Thank you for explaining. So the, the next question is, Apart from the usual risk that we have been hearing for the past three years, right? COVID-19, higher raw material costs. Are there any other key risks that the companies on the lookout for? Um, so COVID and volatile raw material costs are actually, they're already huge for us in terms of, you know, what, what kind of issues we're facing. But yeah, there are, there are many others. So of course, just like most companies, we have competition that's always something that we're constantly observing and keeping us on our toes. And then, of course, the changing consumer habit. Uh, that's, you know, so now, you know, five years ago, we started hearing the term ESG more uh, and the demand for more sustainable products. We became more aware of that. So that's something we're more aware of now. So it's not a risk. 
Uh, we actually think it's an opportunity. It is something that we are doing more in. And I guess, you know, well, some people would say that in the Philippines, in the past, we've had a lot of uh, political issues. We've got elections coming this year. Um, however, I don't think that's such a big issue. If you look at the front runners in the elections, I, I would say no matter who wins, I think there's a pretty good chance that in terms of the philosophy of uh, how the government should be run, where money should be spent and so forth, um, they have seen that the last couple of administrations uh, where good things have been done that are beneficial for the country. And I, I believe the direction in terms of what's being done, the decisions being made um, in general will likely stay steady. So, so for us, I guess there's a little risk if the elections are not credible, if there's a doubt about who actually won and uh, there are protests, you know, that might be a problem. But as long as, I would say, as long as the elections are credible, there's no doubt about who won, there's no issue in terms of the the transfer to the to the new president right. and his team, then then we should be okay. Yeah. Yeah, we actually agree. We actually agree on that one. The next question, I think it's the last, the last question. So we understand, of course, that there, the, the situation right now in terms of the COVID-19, which is, of course, it's still there. It's still present. And then Ukraine, the invasion in Ukraine is still apparent, right? So given all the catalysts in risk mentioned, does the company have any, you know, net income, gross margins? high margin, specialty products, volume, export sales target for this year? Target just even a ballpark figure if you have. So um, before the end of every year, we have a lot of planning that's done on a per BU basis and then on a group basis. And then January, we had Omicron, the surge. And then end of Feb, we have this invasion in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, so... I think it's fair to say pretty much most companies, a lot of the plans, the assumptions we had from last year don't really hold anymore. So a lot of our forecasts are not applicable anymore. Correct. Not to say that, so we are working on new projections, new forecasts. We are continuing to do planning as well. Um, but I think... Okay, so just ignoring what's happening now, on a long-term basis, I believe our trajectory uh, is still very much on track. What, I, what do I mean by that? We are a company that really benefits a lot from the growth in the Philippine economy, especially from the improvements in demographics, in terms of the growth in the population, a young population, the growth in GDP, and more importantly, the growth in disposable income. And what we have seen in other countries is that when, when you have GDP growth and when you have this improving demographic, very importantly, when you have increasing disposable income, then you will see that the per capita or per person spend on everything from food or plastics or chemicals uh, and so forth. So pretty much everything that we make, the per person spend goes up. And it makes sense, right? Because people have more money to spend compared to maybe 10 years ago, the bulk of people's income had to be spent on essentials. As time goes by, 
when disposable income increases, people have more money to spend on non-essentials. And so that drives uh, everything up in terms of growth and profitability. So in the past, so pre-COVID, we generally grow or double every five years. So that's a roughly 14, 15% growth rate. I wouldn't be surprised going forward if we were able to get on track to have that same growth rate going forward. Of course, you know, every time we have another surge, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we'll not have lockdown now. But, yeah. you know, if you see what's happening in China now, they're going through a really bad surge with a lockdown and COVID still not gone yet. Although, thankfully, at least in the Philippines, Mukhang, the case counts are continuing to stay low. That's allowing us to open up more. So yeah, this year it's a little harder to predict or forecast for just because you know, there's just so much going on still. But I think long term, going back to that growth rate we had before of roughly doubling every five years, I think that's still something we can target for. Right. Yes. Okay. So thank you. Thank you for that elaborate explanation. So yeah. So thank you, Alvin Lau, for answering all our questions. I'm sure our clients know a lot more about DNL Industries Inc. So do you have anything to say to all DNL investors out there, as well as those planning to invest into the company for the long? So we, we've been listed for, it's our 10th anniversary wow. being a listed company this year. Oh yeah, yeah right. And uh, I can recall when we first got listed, people really had a hard time understanding our business. And I don't blame them because we're not an easy company to understand. But uh, you know, what we've done is we've tried to expand in terms of the information we provide to explain what we do. We try to come out with a lot of information in terms of press releases, uh, in terms of what's happening in the company. We would be very happy to continue to have that dialogue or conversation with investors to continue to explain what we do, who we are, and why we believe we will continue to grow going forward. So yeah, please feel free to reach out. Uh, happy to talk and communicate about what we're doing and about the company anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Alvin Lau, for accepting our invitation. Okay, so for all of us here in First Metasec, we thank you for accepting our invitation and I'm pretty sure our clients will search more about DNL, take a look at your company websites more, and of course, best case scenario, invest in the company. Right. So thank you. This has been Roy Segular, Equity Research Analyst and host of First Metro Securities podcast. As always in First Metro Securities, it's hashtag your future first. So thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to follow us to get first dibs on our new episodes. For more up-to-date market news and info, exclusive content, and the opportunity to connect with your fellow Filipino investors and traders, join facebook.com slash groups slash First Metrosec and be part of the First Metrosec family. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.